The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today here at Summit Church. I am thrilled to continue walking through the Gospel of Luke. If you were with us last week, you heard this amazing story of friendship, how four men got their paralyzed brother to Jesus. They did so by dropping him through the roof of the home that Jesus was teaching in. When they got him in front of Jesus, Jesus says something completely out of left field. He looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven. And there were these religious leaders that were listening on that day. And they're like, hey, you can't forgive sins because only God can do that. But Jesus goes, oh, just so you know, just so you know, not only can I forgive sins because I am the son of God, I can also cause the lame to walk. And so he tells the man to stand up, take his mat, and go home. And today, as we continue in Luke chapter 5, we see another story of forgiveness. Right on the heels of this, we don't know chronologically how much later this occurs, but it's a beautiful story of forgiveness, of mercy. And it's also the second time within the gospel of Luke that we see the specific calling of a disciple. Okay, if you remember a few weeks ago, we saw when Jesus called Peter and Andrew, James and John, from their profession as fishermen, he called them to come become fishers of men. We saw that, and now we see the calling of Matthew. It's right here in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 28. It says this, After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Jesus walks up and says, follow me, follow me. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. It's actually the gospel of Mark that gives us a little bit more of the context. What's going on here is Jesus has been walking by the Sea of Galilee. He has a huge crowd of people following him. This is by far the most popular season of his ministry. Crowds follow him everywhere he goes. Some people wanting to be healed. Others just wanting to hear what he has to say. Some just wanting to see what the spectacle is all about. So it's one of those moments where Jesus has set up. He's been teaching by the Sea of Galilee. And you have Levi or Matthew. We are asking why are there two different names here? Well, Levi is his Jewish name, a name that he was given at birth because Levi is a Jew, but he has changed his name to Matthew, his Aramaic name. He's changed it because Levi is a tax collector, and tax collectors are not welcomed in Jewish communities. They're ostracized because of their profession. They're ostracized because of what they do. They're ostracized because they take your money. And so, Levi has changed his name to Matthew, and that's the Matthew that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. That's the Matthew that you may be familiar with, but I just want you to know it's one and the same, and it's so impressive here that Jesus walks up and calls him by a name he probably has not heard in years. Matthew has most likely been listening this entire time as people are gathered there in front of his tax collecting booth. His job most likely is to tax the fishermen, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, when they come in off of the Sea of Galilee with their catch, he takes the 40% that the Roman Empire demands. He takes that, puts a little bit in his pocket, and gives the rest up the way, all the way to Caesar. In a Jewish community, there is literally no one more despised than the tax collector. The Hebrew word for tax collector, the Old Testament word for tax collector, 
literally stems from injustice or oppression. Okay, that, that's how they saw it. Now, I, I want you to put this in context here. And, and if anyone works for the IRS, then I, I apologize. I have no ill will. But it, that phrase, that, that term in our English language, the IRS, when, when we say it, there has a negative connotation that comes just, just from being part of a tax-collecting entity. Nothing wrong with it. No ill will. Just there's something negative about it. None of us want our children to be IRS auditors. We just don't think like that. And so the tax collectors of the first century take that up about 10 notches. They were despised because of the incredible high percentage of tax. 40% is where it started. But we know that Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector. He put a little bit extra in his pockets. And Matthew, as, the, as a tax collector underneath Zacchaeus, he put a little bit in his pockets. So it was not uncommon for people to be taxed 50, 60%. Anyone would be upset by this. And you couldn't do anything about it. Why? Because the tax collector represented Rome. And so it was a constant reminder every day as you came in off the Sea of Galilee and had to give 40, 50, 60% of what you had caught, you had to give it back to Rome. It was a constant reminder of the oppression, the oppression that Rome had placed on God's children, the Jewish people, those who were highly favored, who were supposed to be free and, and able to do whatever they wanted and worship God, yet every day a reminder that Rome is in control. Everything was taxed in the first century. Cross a bridge, you pay a tax. Travel on a road, you pay a tax. Pull into a harbor, you pay a tax. Your income was taxed at at least 40%. To live in the town, think property tax, there's a tax there. Your grain, wine, your fish, your fruit, all taxed. All taxed by Rome, they got theirs every single time. And the tax collector was hated most of all because what was seen in the community was that their money, their hard-earned money, was used for idolatrous and immoral things. We are worshipers of God. And you're taking our hard-earned money and you're using it to do sinful things. Matthew would have been ostracized. Ostracized from Jewish life. Not welcomed in the temple. His money considered unclean. Not accepted by many of the vendors. His testimony would not be valid in a Jewish court. Just because of his profession. He would be offered no word or no teaching from the local rabbis. They would have cast him out. You can't come to Sunday school. No, you're a tax collector. We won't allow you. He was doomed to destruction, according to everyone within the community. And for most people, most people, they thought those restrictions were too gentle. That's how opposed a first century Jew was to a tax collector. And it's within that context that we see Jesus walk up to Matthew. Say, hey, come be my disciple. Come follow me. A rabbi, a teacher just walked up and said, hey, I want you to do what I do. Teach what I teach and represent me in my absence. Can you imagine, can you imagine the thinking of Peter and Andrew, James and John, the four fishermen who Jesus had called, let's say days or weeks ago, we don't know how long ago he'd called them, but can you imagine as the tax collector they had to deal with every day, 
has just been made equal to them. Jesus, what are you doing? What are you, you know who that is? Do you know who, do you know who you just called to follow you? Oh, you're making a terrible, terrible mistake. But Jesus is not afraid of Matthew's mess. Jesus is not afraid of Matthew's stigma. Matthew's knowledge within the community. Jesus is not afraid of brokenness. Not Matthew's and not ours. And Jesus calls him for a very, very specific purpose. Come follow me. And we see that Matthew immediately left everything. Left everything. His livelihood, his profession, his Roman job, left it all. He said, I'll follow you. I'll be your disciple. You have to think, you have to think that Matthew was listening to Jesus teach on that day and maybe for the many days before that and just hoping, is there any chance, is there any chance that someone like that would ever choose me? Is there any chance that someone like that, someone this powerful, someone this well-educated, someone that might just be the son of God, is there any chance that he would ever look at me? And Jesus walks up to him and says, you, you, Levi, hey, you. Come follow me. And so Matthew does what just about any wealthy person would do at that point. He goes, I want to have a party. (laughs) I want to throw a banquet, Jesus, and I want you to be the guest of honor. Get to my house as soon as possible. It's going to be amazing. I'll go get things set up right now. You show up at dinner time. Luke chapter 5, verses 29 through 30. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Okay? Important to know, in the first century, if you shared a meal with someone, if you ate with them, it meant you accepted them just the way they were. So Jesus and his disciples are eating with tax collectors and others who have gathered there in Matthew's home. Verse 30, there's some other guests. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to Jesus' disciples. All right, at least Peter and Andrew, James and John. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why why are you doing this? Why are you accepting these people? You know who they are, right? Those are other tax collectors. We hate them. They're sinners, and you're eating with them. You're saying it's okay. How dare you do that? And I love this. I love this because... You see, the religious leaders, they kind of got it handed to them a few days ago with the paralyzed man. They, they were questioning how Jesus could possibly forgive sin. And Jesus reads their thoughts and tells them, I'll, I'll show you that I am who I say I am. And, and he causes the man to give him a walk. So they don't want to deal with Jesus anymore. They, they go, let's pick the lower hanging fruit. Let's go talk to his disciples. Let's question them. Why are you eating with people like this. Why are you doing that? But Jesus, he steps in immediately. He steps in, he goes, "Uh uh-uh, no, 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 no. Luke chapter five, verses 31, 32. Jesus answered them, the religious leaders, the teachers of law. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. You don't go to the doctor when you're good. But it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. 
My mission is clear. I am here to seek and to save that which is lost. I am here for the sinner. I am for the tax collector. I am for the ostracized and the outcast. I am for the unclean. I am for them because my Father is for them. That's why I came. The religious leaders, you think you're good, and you might, you might be. You have all your stuff together. You make all the right sacrifices. You, you're doing so well. You don't need the doctor. It's people like Matthew and his friends. They're the ones who are sick. They're the ones who are distant from God. I came to save them. Have you ever been around? Have you ever been around a person who was truly lost? I'm talking like unchurched, truly, truly lost, and they have a radical encounter with Jesus. Have, have you ever seen that? I've got to see it a handful of times. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And what's amazing, every single time, that person, when they have this radical encounter with Jesus, the first thing they want to do is go tell all of their sinner friends about Jesus. It's the first thing I want to do. It's like, hey, this radically changed my life, and I want you to get to know this same Jesus as well. That's what Matthew did. And these religious leaders are so myopic in their thinking. They're so unifocused in, in that, oh, you have to do it this way. You, you have to come to God clean. You have to offer the right sacrifices. You have to work your way up the ladder. And Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You come to me just the way you are. You come to me broken, hurting, sinful, unclean. And I will make you whole. I will save you and restore you and renew you. I will give you hope and life. That's why Jesus came. That's what Jesus does. I love this story. Because Jesus would not allow the religious elite to steal the show on this day. To the Four disciples who were still trying to figure out why in the world Jesus would ever call Matthew. They just received the greatest for you lesson that was ever taught. Hey, I came. I came for people just like him. The ones that everyone else had written off. That's who I came for. And that's our mission. And so you need to see this, and the best way I can demonstrate it is by calling the one person out of this community that no one thought God cared about. And I just asked him to be my disciple. And now we're sitting here at a dinner party, breaking bread with people that the religious elite would never consider having a meal with. And there's opportunity here. There's opportunity here to help the sick be made whole. Jesus is the great physician Jesus is the one who came to heal those who were physically hurting, but more importantly, he came to heal those who were spiritually broken, who are without hope and without life. That's why he came. That's his mission. As a church, I'm not talking summit, I'm just saying the church. The church has always been aware and has always felt sorry for the sinner. All right? I, I, I've never seen a church in, in my 40 years of life, I've never seen a church that isn't aware of the fact that they're sinners, is, is not sorry that there are people who are separate from God. The church has always been aware of 
sinners. But the church needs to be moved, moved to action on behalf of the sinner. Just like Jesus, he went from just having concern about a sinner to action, to calling them. And he said, you know, we shouldn't just quarantine the sick over there. Shouldn't just put them in a, put them in a group and say, boy, I hope you get better somehow. And when you do, when you do, you're, you're more than welcome to come be a part of our club. You're, you're more than welcome once you get yourself healthy. You're, you're more than welcome here. That, that cannot be how the church acts. Because there's a mission. A lot of churches have become a hotel for saints. The church is supposed to be a hospital for sinners. I want Summit to be a church that expects the highest level of Christ-like living. Okay, We are a grace church. That's, that's what we are. We preach grace, but that doesn't mean we throw out morality. We, that doesn't mean we throw out Christ-like living. But I want, I want to be a church while we value Christ-like living. We understand, though, that self-righteous thinking is the greatest crippler of mission that has ever existed. To think that we're better, that we're above those who are broken and hurting. It destroys the mission of Jesus, why he came to this earth. I want to be a church that recognizes our sinful and broken nature and treasures Jesus as the one who can do something about it. I want to be a church that ruthlessly wars against legalism and moralism while clinging, clinging with every fiber in us to the truth of grace, God's grace. I want to be a church that would go to the banquet and love like Jesus loved, that wouldn't stand outside the door and go, I can't be seen there. I can't do that. That's just wrong. No, that's where Jesus went. That's where Jesus wanted to be. And and I don't know about you, but I want to be where Jesus is. I want to be surrounded by people who need him, not just people who have it all together. I want to be a church that's for people because God is for people. And for Jesus to call one of his 12 disciples from a tax collector's booth on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. That validates for me, that proves to me that God is for all people. Even the furthest from him, the one that an entire community would say, no way, not him, not not her, no way. God came for the sick for the broken, for the lost. God gave his one and only son for those who many within our community would write off. And that cannot be our mentality. That cannot be the way we think. Matthew, the same one who was called on this day, he wrote in chapter 9, verse 13 of his gospel, he wrote this, quoting Jesus talking about this night, this banquet. Jesus said to the religious leaders, he said, go and learn what this means. Now to the religious elite, the highly educated men, 
what a slam that comment would have been. Hey, you need to go learn this. And he's about to quote the Old Testament that they know better than anyone. You need to go learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinner. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, it doesn't mean that he doesn't want sacrifice, doesn't want righteousness, doesn't want holy living. It's saying, I want more of one than the other. So you can do all the right things, but if you fail to show mercy, God desires mercy more than all the right things. And Jesus is looking at the religious elite who spend their entire life making sure they do all the right things. He looks them square in the eye and he says, you need to go learn this. What God the Father wants more than your perfect behavior is for you to show mercy. And thank you, God, that that's how you treat us. You do not demand perfection, but instead you abound in mercy and love and forgiveness. That's how you treat us, God. So that is exactly how you expect us to treat others, to show mercy. God is far more concerned about the mercy we show than our religious piety. May we never forget, may we never forget that it is all about people. That is the mission, that is the why, that is the driving force. People, people coming to know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Jesus calls one of the most broken people in town and he expects us to be willing to go and do the exact same thing. Today, as you process through this, a couple questions for you. Where do you need to receive God's mercy in your life? Where today have you placed upon yourself a standard that you know you cannot keep, a burden that's too hard to carry? And where do you need to let go and let God show you his infinite love and mercy? Where, where do you need God's mercy today? Which one of you listening today has maybe been fooling themselves for far too long, thinking that you're healthy and that you're good, but you really, really need a doctor. You really need Jesus to come in and do some work in you and through you on your heart and your mind. Who, who today needs the one that came, not for the healthy, but for the sick? Is that you? And, and finally today, is there a person or people within your life that you maybe have written off for, for whatever reason? You've written them off, but really what that person needs more than anything is just to have a radical encounter with Jesus. Everyone had written off Matthew, but one encounter with Jesus changes his entire life. He leaves everything that he was and becomes an author of one of the four gospels. He becomes one of the 12 disciples, all because Jesus met with him that day. Will you pray for that person? 
Will, will you start there? Will you pray for whoever this is? Just pray that Jesus will have a radical encounter with them. Will you reach out to that person in love and with mercy? Whatever they've done, whatever happened in the past, it's in the past. Will you reach out to them and say, hey, I just want you to know I'm for you. I love you. I care about you because God loves you and he cares about you. Will you be for them? Because God is for them. Today, as we see this story, it should be a story that brings hope to every person who hears it. It should be a story that brings hope to those who are far off and those who are very near to God because it shows the heart of God, his mercy and his love for you and for all the world. And for those of you who are fortunate enough to have experienced that love, to have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and received his infinite grace and mercy, then the challenge today for you is to be like Jesus and go share that love and that mercy with the whole world, especially, especially those who are sick. Father, help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Help us to be the disciples that you've called us to be. Help us to spread your love and mercy in a broken and hurting world. Jesus, help us to love like you love. I thank you. I thank you for the fact that you came to seek and to save that which is lost. I thank you for those who have experienced that grace. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you would save those who have yet to experience you. Do so for your glory, for the building of your kingdom, for your namesake. And it's in that name we pray. Amen.